0: We fight fair. We, we kind of set down some ground rules probably in the first couple of years that we were married that we would not fight in public.
1: I don't remember the ground rules. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> we, that was one. We wouldn't fight we in wouldn't, public. That's a ground rule. Yeah. We try not to ever bring up anything in the past. We don't want, you know, if there's an argument today, we deal with the argument today. We never walk away during fights. We don't let it go. I mean, if we've got an issue or a problem, we have to settle it right then and there.
0: When a person walks away, that tells the other person, like, this, this isn't worth
1: it to me. I'm not willing to stay here and invest my time in making it right. We might be arguing and fighting, but I still, I, you know, I love you, and I want to work this out.
0: Listen to each other and respect each other enough to know that they have feelings and an opinion, and it's important to them, I think. In a marriage, you're constantly thinking about, what can I do for him? And he's constantly thinking about me, what can I do for her? Putting ourselves, you know, kind of second when it comes
1: to each other. We'll start to get upset about something, and then, like, really, on the grand scheme of things, this is really a big deal.
0: Good morning, everybody. Welcome to The Surge. I am E. Reese, and we are continuing our From This Day on message series. Every year, we're kind of committed to doing a sermon series on relationships for a couple of reasons. One, a lot of us have them, Um, a lot of us are going into them, a lot of us are married or hope to be married someday. And honestly, the principles that are in play are just good advice for relationships in general, whether they be a working relationship or friendship. There's a lot of things there that are just good. We've talked about the five commitments and we're taking one each week just very quick review the five commitments are this seek God fight fair have fun stay pure never give up last week we did seek God this week we're doing fight fair Um, there's a guy named John Gottman who's one of the premier uh, experts on marriage and relationships and he says this he says that all couples fight all couples fight (laughs) healthy couples will fight clean, unhealthy couples fight dirty, right? That healthy couples work towards resolution, unhealthy couples will press for victory and control in spite of the cost. And he studied marriage extensively for 16 years, he's published a few books, and he says that he can watch a couple fight for five minutes and predict with a 91% chance of success whether they'll be divorced or stay married within five years. Five minutes he can tell by watching how they fight. Not if they fight, but how. They fight. <laughs> and we know this is true. Uh, fighting can be a problem. Proverbs twenty-seven, fifteen, it says this, it says a quarrelsome wife is like a constant dripping on a rainy day. And oh my goodness, is that true? Just drip, 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 Just a constant dripping on a rainy day. And also in the third book of E, uh, chapter seven, verse two, it says this, it's better to pet a flesh eating cat with human thumbs than to live with a husband who is a jerk face. So it's kind of, that's not actually in the (laughs) Bible, but yeah, I I think that's true. That's probably, it's probably fair game. Um, (laughs) But we know that if we fight and if we don't fight well, it can be bad for us. So what I want to do is I want to do a couple of things. One, to talk about signs of unhealthy fighting. And then I want to turn the corner and talk about what we can do about it and some very basic things that we can look at to do better. So four signs that we aren't fighting fair, And again, these are from our, our guy, John Gottman. The first one he calls criticizing. Uh, this has got many give you. list four ways he's seen couples fight unfairly, ways that are unhealthy. And, and this is, the heart of this is, 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 something like this. Something happens in a relationship and, and one person might say to the other, you told me you were going to do this on Thursday. You didn't do it. I really wish you would have done it. Okay, that's legit. That's legitimate, right? Someone says they're going to do something, they don't do it. But what Gottman means by criticizing is when that moves a step deeper and it turns into, you never ever do what you say you're going to do, right? And so it becomes a criticism of the person and not of the action. Criticism leads to, if it's unchecked, it leads to contempt. And my theory is this, and this is not scripture, this is just E, but this is my, uh, my read on One of the major problems of relationships Uh, scripture talks a lot about judgment right and we hear a lot about that from Christians and non Christians stop judging me quit judging me but if you do a study of the word judgment and of the idea of judgment all the way through it's a fascinating study and there's a couple of things that that you'll find one is that God actively tells us to judge (laughs) right he just says judge a tree by its fruit he tells us to judge teaching he tells us to judge Uh, actions, to judge our words, to judge, uh, again, teaching and what people tell us. Is that legitimate or is that not legitimate? To really take a look at it and put the hood up and dig in. God actually tells us to actively judge. It's not that we never judge. The thing that Scripture tells us not to do is not to ultimately judge people. And I think part of the reason why is this. Whenever I, I say I do something or say something mean or stupid or bad, right? And even I, you know, and somebody a district of the district party could look at that and go, that was mean, that was bad. And even I might agree. Yeah, that was stupid. <laughs> that was a bad thing to do. I should not have done that. I should not have done that. But when I see that action, I don't just see the action in isolation. I see it in the context of my own internal life. Right? I know my heart. I know my thoughts. I know what I meant, what I didn't mean. I know if my blood sugar's low. <laughs> I know how many hours of sleep I got last night. I know my story. I know the experiences in my past from the time I was a little kid that are pushing me around on that particular topic. And that statement, that action, that might be out of bounds, and I might even agree it's out of bounds, has a context, right? And because of that context, I'm able to cut myself a lot of slack. I will give myself some grace, man, I was tired, <laughs> I didn't mean, you know, I, didn't, I, I, can, I can surround it not just with rationalization, but with an actual story, right? That has a narrative, so this thing is not seen in isolation. But here's the thing, the way I experience me and the way I experience you are two very different things. It's almost like I experience myself in three dimensions and I experience you in two. Because all I know, all I really know about you is what I see and what I hear. And so when you do the thing, right, or say the thing, all I get is your words, your tone of voice, the look on your face, the situation as much as I know about. But I don't know your heart. I don't know your story. I don't know the trauma that you encountered as a kid that's pushing you into this weird place right now. I don't know all those things. And because of that, guess what? I'm not qualified to judge you, <laughs> right? I can judge the thing. Not all actions and not all stupid sayings are created equal, it turns out. There's, there's some things that we can say that was bogus. But you know what? I do not have the power. I do not have the authority or the right to judge ultimately another person. So when we move to contempt, It's the mistake of taking the external thing that I see and applying it to the internal state of your heart. And I don't know what that is. So when you say, you say something mean to me and I say, you're a mean person, you're a cruel person and I paint all of you (laughs) with the cruel brush. That's when criticism leads to contempt. It's a decision that we make. And when we do it, we leave grace at the door. The problem isn't the thing that the person did, the problem is now who they are, right? And, and we can fix what somebody does, we can fix what somebody says, they can unsay it, or they can apologize, or they can do that. But if the problem, fundamentally, is that you're mean and you're cruel, I don't know how you fix that, right? And it creates a wall between us that's very hard to get past. The problem is the person. The only way to solve the problem is to get rid of the person. It may not be where we wanna go. So criticizing contempt, the third thing that Goblin talks about is defensiveness. <laughs> and this isn't, just, this isn't just normal defensiveness, this is deep defensiveness in the way that he's talking about it. This is, you're a cruel person, you're doing things to actively wound me, you're out to get me, I need to protect myself, right? And so what do you do? You withdraw, you move to a safe place, emotionally, physically. And listen, understand what I'm saying. I'm not talking about no kidding abuse, right? If there's physical abuse, if there's something like that that's, that's very serious, um, get somebody involved. Get safe immediately, get somebody involved. Maybe the police, if appropriate. You know, do what you need to do. That's not what I'm talking about. I'm talking about a more normal interaction where we just decide that I'm gonna cut somebody off and be defensive. We decide that they're toxic, we decide they're bad for business, what do we do? We shut down, we withdraw. We withhold time, we withhold affection, we withhold information, we cut them off. It's a very dangerous place to be, right? It can kill a relationship. And if we want the relationship to survive, we've got to make different decisions. So, criticism, contempt, defensiveness, the fourth one, I'll call it exile. Um, Godman actually calls this one stonewalling, but the reason he did is because he didn't have a professional writer picking his metaphors for him. Exile is a much better metaphor. Um, th- this is where we say, look, I'm done. I'm done. I don't care what you say. <laughs> I care what you do. I don't care how many things, times you get it right from this point. I am done. I'm done with you. Game over, right? It's a stage we actively decide. We're shutting down. We're closing shop. And, and not to overgeneralize, uh, but one of the things that Gottman learned was that men will do this more than women do. 85% of men will get to this stage quickly and they'll actually move on it pretty quickly. When they're done, they're done. There might be some logistics involved in terms of kids and a house and such. But when they're done, they're done. Women, Gottman found, will tend to, and again, it's a generalization, it's not always true, but will tend to uh, grieve before they leave. They'll actually shut down. They will put themselves in exile. or They'll put the other person in exile, completely closed off. I mean, the other person is talking and they could not care. I mean, it does not matter. They're done the poor guy doesn't know yet, right? I mean, they might shut down completely, they're done, they're just looking for an exit ramp, and at some point, they will say, by the way, like a divorce, here are the papers, already talked to a lawyer, and you'll be shocked at how many times the guy is completely surprised by this, because he didn't even realize that exile was happening. New things were bad, did not realize that we were, to Z, thought they were on you know, L or M, <laughs> there were still steps to, to accomplish before the relationship was done. When the exile stage happens, we've made the decision to shut the door, to be out the door. The other person may not know yet. It's a very dangerous place to be. Criticism, contempt, defensiveness, exile, it's a downward spiral. And it can kill our relationships. Now, sounds really grim, right? Grim, hopeless, darkness. Oh my goodness. thought that we were talking to talk about good things in relationships. But look, we've seen this in relationships around us. I mean, you know, Karen tells me, every that, gosh, there's the people at work, these... They're getting a divorce. You know, they got kids and a dog and a house and a thing and they seem to be doing fine, but they are parting their separate ways. Some of us have experienced these things firsthand, right? We know them all too well. Some of us have done some of these things, right? And we know them all too well. It hurts to remember. Here's the thing. If you're in a relationship with another person, guess what? If you're both still alive, (laughs) there's still hope. The relationship is what you both agree it is. You can write your own script. That can be cause for hope. You can define it any way you want. can be cause for hope. Don't listen to the doom and gloom of our culture. Don't listen to the people on the sideline. Don't listen to the unrealistic expectations from stupid romantic comedies where you have a really boy meets girl, boy loses girl, this really unhealthy interaction going on, and then click, five years later, you Grant is all grown up, and he's, he's laying on the bench reading a book, and the kids are playing, and cue the acoustic piano music. That's not how it works. We've got to dial some reality into our relationships so what we want to do is i want to watch a quick video of a pastor talking about a fight it's both amusing and helpful to lighten the toad a little bit and then we're going to talk about things that we can do to fight better
1: how many of you you've ever fought about something with anybody over something stupid and insignificant raise your hands raise your hand anybody get in a fight on the way to church raise your hands raise your hand and you're sitting there by yourself today interesting interesting (laughs) We, uh, Our most famous fight is actually an ongoing battle, but the big one that's in the Groschel marital history books happened when we were newlyweds, and it was over, of all things, pancakes. Now, you may say, why did you fight over pancakes? The reality is my wife Amy, although perfect in almost every way, was, was raised in a dysfunctional pancake home. They don't know how to make pancakes right. and. All of you who are more skilled in the spiritual gift of pancake making, you know that you should make a relatively thin batter, turn the griddle up high, put some butter on it so it sizzles before you put them on, put the pancakes on about so big, notch, huge and disfigured and they should all be approximately the same size and you should let them bubble up quickly and then you feel the spirit in the place and you turn them over quickly and then you take four the exact same size, you put them on a plate, immediately you put butter on it and you get some log cabin syrup and you eat them while they're hot and everybody said amen. Amy on the other hand, although I love her and honor her, she makes this wheat plop stuff. It's like oh, goopy thing, puts the, th- the the grill on low, and then puts different sizes blobs. There's no bubbles, there's no butter, there's no sizzle. And then she turns over these grilled dough ball things and puts <laughs> them on a plate and s- the, kind of flops them there and they get cold. And then she pulls out some kind of health, and I'm, I'm all for healthy, but not with pancakes. You just got to do them right or don't do them at all. This kind of watery liquid stuff and then tried to put these things in front of me. And as she was making more, we were newlyweds, I just leaned over and said, you're not doing that right. And she looked at me like, I'm not what? I said, you're not doing that right. And she said, I'm doing it right. I said, no, you're not. And she said, yes, I am. I said, move. Let me show you how to do it. And she said, I'm not moving. I said, no, this is important to me. And I stepped forward and she said, no, it's important to me. And she put her shoulder into me like a football player would and knocked me to the side. Now, I've become much more godly since, but I said something that wasn't very godly and started moving toward her. She pulled the spatula up (laughs) and flung pancake glob toward me. And said get out of my kitchen and I said get out of my house and $800 of marital counseling later we were back in love again now (laughs) how did that happen over something so insignificant and yet that happens to us in relationships all the time in fact just last week Amy came to me crawling on her hands and knees after a fight just crawling in after the fight and said get up from out, out from under that bed you coward and fight like a man here's <laughs> <laughs> the reality she told me to tell you that's a joke by the way <laughs> so so <laughs> all right pancakes all right all
0: couples will fight uh if we commit to fight for we will help us here's what we can do uh it says in the book of james this everyone should be quick to listen slow to speak and slow to become angry For man's anger does not bring about the righteous life that God desires. (laughs) Man, first century. Good stuff. Listen to this. Quick to listen. Slow to speak. Be really careful with anger. Let me just say it again. Just let it sit. (laughs) Quick to listen. Slow to speak. Be careful with anger. First thing is quick to listen. Uh, Proverbs 18 says that a fool finds no pleasure in understanding but delights in airing his own opinions This was Solomon (laughs) 1500 years ago. He didn't even have internet forums. How could he possibly know? It's like, you know, it's he kind of got it Uh, Sometimes we are not quick to listen and and Gottman and others in counseling They talk about in times of conflict a tool called active listening. It's actually really helpful Um, again to be used in times of of conflict and basically what you do is you, re- you hear what someone is saying and instead of trying to get in a zinger you, you wait you understand what they're saying you repeat it back to them and get them to agree that you're hearing them correctly and you can affirm that yep I understand what you're saying when we're in times of conflict often we're talking past each other and to stop and actively listen can actually be a really good thing so you know the girl says I just feel, I feel like I want, to spend, I want to spend more quality time with you." And the guy says, What I hear you saying is that I'm a jerk and that you don't like me and I'm not doing it right. And she says, No, no, that's not what I'm saying. Let me try again. I want to spend quality time with you. And so the guy says, So what I hear you saying is just like my dad, I'm a jerk face. And he says, No, no, that's not what I'm saying. That's not what I'm saying. I want to spend quality time with you. He says, "Okay, So you want to, you want to set aside time that's just you and me, that where we can talk and connect. He says, yes, that's exactly And He says, I can understand why you feel that way. And it's a way to get on the same page and agree that you are, in fact, on the same page. Now, the thing about active listening is this. You don't want to use it all the time. And, and part of winning, overall, is knowing when to use what kind of speech, <laughs> where. Uh, really, you want to use this one in times of of conflict you don't want to use this one in normal day-to-day interactions you don't want to use this for yes and no questions so when your wife comes to you and says honey do you, have, do you have the keys what you could say is what i hear you saying is that i i you want to know if i have the keys is that right and she's looking <laughs> like i can understand why you would i can understand how you would want to know why you would want to know that i'm actively listening to you if you're in the grocery store you know cash or credit <laughs> What I hear you saying to me is, you wanna determine how I'm gonna pay for this stuff. Like, don't always actively listen. You have gotta roll out of it at some point. Um, But be quick to listen. Be quick to listen because, because. It might seem crazy on the face of it. It might be somebody yelling at you or coming at you with passive aggressiveness or coming at you in a way that's weird. But if you wait a minute and listen, there's probably a legitimate beef in there somewhere. And if you can find out what it is, you can address it. You can come to an agreement about it. You can bring it to resolution. Too often we lose the thread because we're just talking past each other and we don't stop to listen. Be quick to listen. Second thing is slow to speak. Uh, Proverbs 21 says, and it actually says this, I'm not making this one up. It literally says, right around verse 23, it says, shut up. <laughs> It'll save you a lot of trouble. <laughs> right? It actually says, Stop talking, <laughs> you know, it will save you trouble. Be slow to speak. Listen, if you have something important, or something that's bugging you, or something that just, just, just sticks in your craw, there's some things that you can do. And one of the things that you can do is let it go, <laughs> right? right? Can we say that out loud? Sometimes it's okay to just be quiet, be careful get through is this a battle worth fighting do I really care that much is this a big thing do is this important enough to really go to the wall for sometimes it's not right don't fly off the handle it's rarely helpful right? if you have something you want to bring up that might cause trouble be careful with that sometimes it costs more than it pays and you can do the math right sometimes it's okay to just be quiet listen men are men and men will do stupid men things from time to time. It is what it is. We're bears with furniture. It's how God made us. Thanks for playing. Sometimes you just got to let some stuff go. And it's going to be okay. You secretly love us for that. We know. We, we know. We know. And uh, girls are girls and mysterious. For example, what are they doing in the car before they started and drive away? Why does it take four to six minutes? I do not know. <laughs> I don't know. <laughs> but it happens. It's mysterious. Can it, do I need to make it a thing? I do not. I can just let it go. I can just decide to let it lie there. I don't have to poke it. I don't have to touch it. <laughs> it, can just, it can just be okay. Now look, if it's important, if it is important, some things are, and you do decide you need to confront someone about something, ask two questions before you jump in. And the first one is the one we've been talking about. Should it be said? Should it be said? Is this something that we really need to go to the, do the mat for? Maybe, maybe not. Second thing is this. Should it be said now? Does it have to be brought up at this moment because often some of the things that we want to do to push our relationship into a good direction might be legit. During times of conflict is not the time to bring this up. It's the opposite of active listening, right? The the slow to speak can is not the best time to work on your marriage, right? Because because what you're going to do is you're going to say something like this, what are, what are three things I can do to make your life better? And if you're in the middle of a fight, this will go badly, right? Oh, I've got, I've got three things for you to do and you, she'll tell you what the three things are. And guess what? Two of them are anatomically impossible, if you know what I'm saying. The other one involves a, a vat of boiling oil and a cat with thumbs, with human thumbs, and it's just, it's not gonna end well. What you have gotta do is, if you wanna bring up something important, do it in a non-conflict time. And can I just say this out loud? Very practical piece of advice. Don't do it when somebody just gets home, when they're hungry, when they're tired. If they didn't get a lot of sleep the night before, it's not the best time to ambush them with a thing, right? Make sure they're rested and fed and they're okay and say, listen, something important I need to talk to you about. When can I do that? Maybe even set an appointment, you know? But kind of kind of get to a place where you're not setting yourselves up to get clobbered by the thing you wanna talk about. Be slow to speak. Be careful, it'll save you a lot of trouble. It really, really will. All right, so. In terms of a, just a laundry list of practical advice, here we go. Don't call names. Um, unless it's really funny and you can get in in good, I'm just, I'm just kidding. Don't, don't call names, just don't do it. Um, those things will stick and they'll remember that for years, don't do it. The uh, second thing is this, and this one's for me, don't raise your voice. Uh, some families, pe- different people will have different tolerances for how loud the conversation can get before they freak out, right? Um, some people, can, you can yell at them, they don't care. Some people, you can yell at them, and what they hear is, blah, 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 this person's yelling at me, blah, blah, blah. They don't, it doesn't matter. They could be reading you the Declaration of Independence. It could be beautiful language. Doesn't matter if you're raising your voice, they won't hear it. Don't get historical. Don't bring out the ledger one. 1917, you said, mm, you know, and use that to, to really jab the, the iron And Don't get historical. Let the past be the past. Write it off as a bad debt. Forgive. Let it go. Don't get historical. Don't say never. Or always. You never want to spend time with me. You always are a jerk face. It's like, that's rarely true. right? It's not helpful. Don't say that. Say, sometimes I feel like, lie. I feel like you don't want to spend time with me. I I don't know if you feel that way or not. Sometimes I feel that way. I need to to understand that. Don't threaten divorce. If you're in a long-term relationship, don't threaten the relationship. Listen, if if you're dating and there's a legit reason to shut the relationship down, do that. But be nice about it. And don't, don't threaten it during a fight, right? If you're having a disagreement about something, that's never ever gonna bring it to resolution by pulling out the nuclear launch codes and putting your finger on the button to try to control and scare the other person. Don't do that. Don't ever do that. <laughs> the last, last thing is this, well, the second last thing. Don't fight forever. Um, pick a rule of thumb that you agree on. If you have a conflict that goes on for a period of time, uh, for Karen and I, it's two weeks. If there's something we're in dis- disagreement about, I mean, seriously, not, not you know, Not something silly, but something serious. If it goes on longer than two weeks, bring in a third party. A counselor or a pastor or somebody, probably Dwayne, not me, (laughs) just kidding. Um, But bring in somebody, a disinterested third party who can come in and listen to both sides, can speak into the situation, that could give you somebody else to triangulate off of. It changes the dynamic greatly. And help, get help to bring it to resolution. If you're bumping heads for that amount of time, don't just let it escalate forever and mess you up go get help right don't fight forever uh last piece of advice is this it's probably the biggest one don't ever quote a pastor during a fight (laughs) Well, he said in proverbs 21 that you should shut up i think that's god's word to you right now it's like no no don't 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 quote any pastor especially from the surge during a fight so quick to listen slow to speak the last one is this be careful with anger um this one's probably a little bit more for me um because karen Lover, She's got a flaw. I'm still looking for exactly what that is. She, she's the Zen master. She, she really is. Just anger is just not something that's a struggle for her. In fact, <laughs> we'll be in DC traffic. This is, this is Karen Reese's version of road rage. Okay, you've probably seen me do this before. Somebody will cut her off. And I mean, in, in DC, I mean, this is like, you know, somebody really cut her off. I mean, like, they're checking, they're checking their gun to make sure the safety's off, that it's fully loaded, that they, you know, they're, they're screaming, explosives, ah, you know. It's like a scene from Mad Max is road rage. Karen's version of road rage is, oh, mm, that person's in my way. Mm, This is really irritating, I'm sorry, I'm sorry. And she will blush, she'll actually blush. Unless you're an academy award-winning actress, you can't fake that, she's actually embarrassed at her behavior (laughs) right at that point. And she'll say, I'm sorry, I'm sorry, I'm just completely out of control and I'm looking at her. And and it, it took me six months to figure out she wasn't kidding, that that was actually her version of anger and I'm going, uh, yeah, that doesn't count as anger. That doesn't, that's, no, that doesn't count. Oh, this person is really, you know, irritating me. I'm so angry. I'm sorry. I'm out of control. I'm sorry. <sighs> Be careful with anger. Visions 4:26 says this. In your anger, do not sin. I'm the one who will fly off the handle, by the way, in case you haven't figured that out already. In your anger, do not sin. Do not let the sun go down while you're still angry. I find it interesting that The Bible doesn't say, don't get angry. It doesn't say that anger is a sin. It says, be slow to get angry. (laughs) Just like it says, be slow to speak. It doesn't say don't do it, it says be careful with it. When you're there, be careful. Um, There was a movie last year called Inside Out. They actually did a lot of research into the current science on emotions, especially related to cognitive development and the emotions they picked were universal. They exist in every culture and disgust was one of those, which was interesting, but so was. Anger. One of the things that they discovered in the research, and that I think is is really true, it resonates with me, is that anger is almost always tied to a sense of justice. Why do we get angry? We get angry when something isn't fair. (laughs) Or when we feel like it's not fair. That's when we get angry. When we perceive something that's unfair happens, we get angry. And you know what? It can be a good thing, right? It motivates us to action. motivates us, right? We're angry, we move, we want to do something about it. Just be careful because anger can also be very destructive and wounding to the people close to us. That's one. Anger is about justice. The second thing is this, anger is almost always, when it's, when it's a big, it's, it's very serious anger, it's always an opportunity. That might sound surprising to some of you. Something to be avoided at all costs like, no, 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 it's an opportunity. It's the tip of the iceberg. When something small happens and you get the, how do you say it, a disproportional response. Something small happens and the reaction is like, ah, you know, like the explosion and there's fire and, you know, screaming and gnashing of teeth. And and from the outside, from somebody sitting on the sidelines, it looks like crazy. I mean, it, it literally looks nuts. There's something very complicated that's happening to the person who's angry. It's normally this. We have a, a series of basic beliefs about how we interact with the world. It's normally framed about the time we're five to eight years old. Something will happen, fair, unfair, and we'll make a decision. This is how the world works. This is how I'm going to react. <laughs> you know. And sometimes something traumatic will happen or something bad will happen or something undesirable will happen and we will make a decision. I am never, ever going to be put in that position again, ever. <laughs> and what's happening when someone has a disproportionate response is the thing that happened today, which honestly probably isn't a big deal, has tied into this deep wounding. The tip of the iceberg has tied to the bottom. And the response you're getting is a deep wounding, normally from childhood. And you're getting the whole load, right? The whole load. And the thing about it is this. It's an opportunity. Because it's disproportionate, because it doesn't make any sense, if you can get to the root of what's going on, if you can understand it, You can process it, right? God's made us in in a wonderful way. It's almost, when we're angry in this sort of way, it's not something to be avoided. It's something to be investigated, seriously. Because it is an opportunity, and almost always an opportunity, for incredibly deep healing, for a wounding from childhood that we've experienced. It's a way to get into the trauma, to look at it, to make different decisions about it, And think about people, when when you see them in that that situation, what's one of the things, You're, you're being so childish. Yeah, they're being childish. They're five years old right now and they're hurting. They are literally a little girl or a little boy. And when we understand that, when we see it, it lets us see the anger in a different way. Not as dangerous, but as someone who is wounded. But as someone who needs our understanding. Someone who needs our help. Looks crazy, it's actually an opportunity for God to do something amazing uh, to heal us. When we do that, when we understand it, when we process it, when we make different decisions in that place, life can get so much better. It can undo some of the things that just drive us and push us around. And the, honestly, the light of the gospel can shine into that area of life and it can be really, really good. All right. So we fight in unhealthy ways, but from this day on, from this day on, fight fair. God's word to you, fight fair. It will bless you. Not only will it bless you, it'll bless your relationships, it will bless the people around you. So here's what I want to say. Be quick to listen. (laughs) Be slow to speak.
1: Be careful with anger. Let's pray.
0: Father, we just thank you.